listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 47, Tackling the Hospital Tech. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things that you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught in medical school. I'm Nikki and I'm the Editorial Scholar here at the BMJ and I'm also a medical student at the University of Manchester. I'm excited to be joined today by my good friends Chidera and Andrew. Andrew, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Hey, my name's Andrew, I'm a, I'm a third year medical student on the Scottish Graduate Entry Medical Programme uh, at the Universities of St Andrews and Dundee uh, and I'm based up in Thurso this year in a primary care placement. Good to have you with us Andrew. And Chidera? Hi, I'm Chidera and I'm taking a year out of training, so doing a senior house officer job at Imperial Healthcare Trust. I'm really glad that you're in London. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that you're both here with us and thank you for joining us on our now twice award nominated podcast because we've been shortlisted for the Publisher Podcast Awards in the Science and Medical Podcast category for the second time this year, I believe. So big thank you to all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning into each episode. We'll keep you updated when we attend the virtual ceremony in a few months time. So we thought that we would talk a little bit about technology that you're likely to come across in your career working in settings such as NHS hospitals or GP surgeries. So Chidera, you've been working as a doctor in the NHS for a, a few years now. How would you describe your relationship with the tech? So I'll say that as much as I can and likely will complain about the tech in this episode, um, For my second foundation year, I worked at a hospital where we use paper notes for the most part. And they'll tell you when it's missing, you definitely feel it. It's painful. Um, But then even when it is there and you'll return to feeling grateful for being able to prescribe and write patient notes online, it's so clunky that you do just think, who made this? And have (laughs) they ever stepped foot into a hospital? Have they ever worked with doctors before? Because... This just doesn't make any sense, is generally my view. And what about you, Andrew? Have you noticed like a pattern of any sort? Yeah, so like I did um, pharmacy before this, so I got like a wee bit of an insight into it from, from their side, from like being in a community pharmacy and dealing with IT there. And then when I did my pre-reg in hospital, it was quite interesting at the start of the year, we were using um, like paper prescribing. Um, but then halfway through my training year, we the hospital was switching to electronic prescribing. Um, so you got to see... The, the transition and the like beast of like the NHS like trying to like turn the cogs and change the way people work and then um, obviously doing medicine now like uh, you get an insight to it from that perspective and it's it's a bit different again as well and when it doesn't work it's like exactly who made this like this is ridiculous <laughs> uh, and it's like just you can't you, you have to laugh at it sometimes because you're just like oh well this is just what we have to deal with but it can be really frustrating definitely it's definitely if I don't laugh I'll scream yeah. situation yeah. <laughs> Sarah you mentioned it being quite like clunky and stuff so what do you think are your your personal like main issues with it I mean I think a big thing and this is kind of dependent on the hospital that you're at is what system you use so some hospitals will use one system where most things are incorporated um some hospitals do this really fun thing um where you have four or five <laughs> different apps or <laughs> programs that you have to use and different logins for all of them which is again really fun so you know you log in here to look at the blood and then you log in here to look at the scans and then you log in here to read the patient notes but actually this hospital still kind of uses paper notes so you have to write in the patient and on the paper notes and it's just it's I think it's just there's no one way of doing it and it just means that regardless of 
where you work, even if you've used the computer system before, it's never intuitive because everyone has designed them slightly differently um, and that they never work with each other, which I think is probably the most annoying thing for me. The fact that I can write patient notes on one system at one hospital, when I transfer that patient to another hospital, I still have to print them all out and physically put them in an envelope. It seems so ridiculous to me. We, we have a national service. Why do you not have a national IT system? Yeah, you're right. It sounds like there's just like no continuity like between different services and things what do you think Andrew yeah exactly exactly the same I feel like this is gonna be a theme throughout the, the podcast <laughs> I mean when I go into GPHD I have to enter four different usernames and four different passwords for the four programs we need to use if I want to look at an x-ray it's a different username and password for that and then even though it's the same account if I use a computer in the hospital rather than in primary care it's the same account but a different login to the one that I log in to the same network and then it's there's extra programs for a hospital that you can use in primary care but you can't access and like you get to the end of the day and you're like oh how many logins have I got and like <laughs> is that for that program on primary care or is that for the one in hospital and then it's just like you said like th- there's no one system and they all don't talk to each other or they maybe do talk to each other but you have to do it in a certain way for them to sort of work yeah. And if you miss a step, it's just a no-go and you have to start again. And then, like, that's just hoping that the computers are actually working properly as well. Because then, oh. even <laughs> when they're just slow, you have to do the thing, but then just sit and wait. Um, and it's just kind of, it's mad because there's sometimes you actually need to access it quite quickly. Like, and you just yeah. can't and you just have to sit there and just sweat. <laughs> it's quite yeah so I asked Twitter what everyone's biggest like IT bugbears are and the common themes between doctors and med students we've already touched on a bit but like the computers being really slow the number of logins and passwords and someone replied saying something like you have about five or six different logins and passwords and as a student obviously you rotate so often that those change again every four weeks or whatever and then it won't let you in it says you end up resetting your password and then it says you can't use the same password as you've already as you had before so you were putting in the right password it's not working another thing that came up a lot were fax machines and bleeps like why are we still using bleeps Chidari, you look like you're about to say something. I'll be honest. I've said this to plenty of people. I believe that bleeps are just modern torture devices. I don't think it's fair to strap something to me that <laughs> emits a very high-pitched <laughs> whining noise when I'm probably going to be told to do something I don't want to do. How is that not Pavlovian conditioning? <laughs> it's it, it really is and I just think we need to move to a different system whereby I don't then dream at night of a beeping noise and wake up with a cold sweat oh, I just I think we can move past it that's just how I feel <laughs> what do you think the alternatives would be so I've heard in some hospitals they have like you get a hospital f- mobile phone um, and nurses or HCAs or allied health professionals on the ward can text jobs onto the phone um, and on the phone you also have like a ward list, orbs, etc. So you can, it's very in- well integrated but also what it means is that um, the phone is in a network where all the juniors are linked so it means that if someone else can do the job they like kind of swipe off the job 
so you know it's done. Because I think for me, the most annoying bleeps are the ones where maybe a few different people have asked me the same thing about a job, but because we're all in different places and can't communicate effectively, you know, I end up having the same conversation four or five times yeah. about, you know, oh, I've, I've done it or someone else is currently doing it, you know? So that would be really cool. Yeah, that was actually something that came up as well like, in the conversations that were triggered by like, that Twitter thread. People were saying the fact that you can't like have bleeps with different levels of urgency or like communicate yeah. anything about the jobs is really really annoying and frustrating and I probably waste no, there's valuable definitely time. been times like where I've been with a sick patient and they get a bleep and there's no way of knowing if there's another very sick patient particularly if it's at night and so you know you're the only one so part of you kind of hopes you know it's night time if someone's bleeping me I hope it's be- not I hope but it should be because of something urgent yeah. and then you get a bleep and it's for someone eating laxatives at 3am in the morning and you've walked away from someone who needs an ABG and it's just really annoying mm. what are your thoughts Andrew on all of these things that have come up on Twitter. I uh, I was in HDU on a placement just recently and the the, the trainee there um, had like a an actual mobile phone rather than a bleeper and I was like, oh my day, this is so futuristic. Like he's <laughs> got a mobile phone. <laughs> but yeah, no, that actually sounds really cool, like having like a jobs list that you can sort of at least see and allocate to people. Like that makes much more sense than just blindly answering a phone and you know being asked to prescribe paracetamol by three different people for three different patients that you know, you can do it at some point, but you don't need to do it like right now. But yeah, no, there there definitely needs to be something. You know, in terms of like the fax machines, I remember having to deal with a fax machine in community pharmacy, and it was just the worst thing ever. It was the bane of my life because every time I used it, it would break. And it has this. It's just, it's just uh, like no one teaches you how to use a fax machine. It's just this weird bit of like paper slash like nylon thing that's in it, and it just if it gets jammed, you have to like take it out, straighten it out reattach it and you're just like why am i doing this like i could just scan this with my phone for a prescription or something like that but yeah so archaic and you're like when was this going to change you just get so fed up of it <laughs> i don't think anyone actually knows how to no, use a fax machine no. <laughs> very true like whenever it's i've had to hour. use it it takes like minimum four or five people and we're just there <laughs> pressing random buttons we never know if it's happened or not i don't think anyone well, knows just get yeah. rid of them fair enough takeaway message from today <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We'll discuss a little bit more about technology in the NHS, but that'll be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. So I was keen to find out a bit more about the root of these issues and why there seems to be such a problem. So I had a chat with Stephen that might help us learn a little bit more about why we got to where we are. So my name is Stephen Armstrong. I'm a journalist um, and I am a freelance. I write regularly for the BMJ, for the British Medical Journal. I also write for Wired, 
the fancy schmancy high-tech magazine and so I've got a reasonable tech background and a reasonable health background and that has led to me writing quite a lot about a a setup that almost nobody understands, which is exactly how technology works in the NHS. I think you've hit the nail on the head there already. So my first question for you, Stephen, is why is the technology in every hospital that I've been on placement in so far, why has it been so bad? So, I mean, there's an in- the trouble is there's so many different cock-ups along the way to reach the place we're at today. Um, that it's hard to nail down the, this is the answer. The very long answer is that oddly, believe it or not, the NHS was originally, back in the day, back in the 60s, it was a really pioneering, progressive tech organisation. And of course, you know, a lot of the tech that you'll find in hospitals is cutting edge state of the art. There'll be scanning, imaging, there'll be all sorts of stuff that you won't find anywhere else because the NHS is a huge purchaser of equipment, which means it can buy at a reasonable discount the best stuff around. The problem is in the second tier of things, which is your data storage, your admin, you're much more kind of not dealing with the patient, but keeping a track of what's going on systems. And because of the way that at various different times the NHS has been structured and restructured and reorganised, we're currently in a system where almost like counties the NHS is built into a series of small fiefdoms, all of which clinical uh, commissioning, clinical commissioning groups, which are which are effectively, they are unitary authorities with their own budgets, and they make certain purchasing decisions. Now, those things can ha- can be for a hospital; they can be for all the hospitals in the area. Sometimes those can be devolved to the point where an individual GP practice can make a decision about what IT system it wants to buy. And so what you tend to have is a lot of mainly US-based tech companies coming around to all the different NHS providers and saying, hey, use our really cool kit. And so what you've got is a ton of equipment lying around different parts of the NHS that doesn't know how to talk to other bits of equipment. So then what would happen? How would all that, how would all the GP notes get to the consultant? What evolved was the system which is much derided of the continual and uh, long-standing use of the fax machine because it just became easier. Just oh, We can't get the thing and put it through the stuff. Why don't we just photocopy it and send it over on a fax machine? And that's really been one of the reasons that everyone mocks the NHS for use of fax machines is because you it's very, very hard to transfer digital, particularly patient data, across all the different stages in a patient's journey that they're likely to go through without there being some problems. And then you've also got budgetary problems, which is where people have got a certain amount of money to spend on IT, and that's not a lot of money. The audit um, office estimates that at the moment the NHS has less than half the budget it needs to spend on IT. So you update not very frequently, which means that there's a lot of very old IT systems there. So there's a lot of things going wrong at the same time, and that is why the whole thing is a quagmire. Um, I've heard from some of our my colleagues that the government's already spent billions of pounds on hospital technology. So why is it that we're still using things like fax machines that you just mentioned? There was there was one particularly ambitious tar- uh, setup at the beginning of this century to try to find a single data system for the entire NHS, which the government itself was going to build, and by the time they'd spent £11 billion and still not managed to produce a functioning system, the National Audit Office shut it down. The attempts to build 
solutions to this problem have cost the taxpayer billions and billions of pounds and no one has come up with a solution that works. So what really is happening is that people are throwing money at the problem without really talking to the people on the ground. What in actual fact is happening is that most doctors are communicating by WhatsApp because it's just a whole lot easier. Now, this isn't ideal. This is very far from ideal because this is, you know, the security of this is is reasonably sound. But at the same time, it's open to all sorts of you know, chances of pe- other the wrong people looking at that information. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned WhatsApp because I was thinking about how since the start of the pandemic, lots of people have become more tech savvy because they've sort of had to be. So even everyone's grandparents are using Zoom and WhatsApp. And I was wondering how come it isn't that simple for the NHS? <laughs> the problem with is, 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 is who and how are some of these solutions provided for? You may remember there was a lot of fuss about a track and trace app which the UK was developing itself. And we were taking a radical series of decisions about the uh, Test and Trace app, which no other country in the world was going to do. And this came from the Department of Health. What they were going to do is they were going to use a particular kind of system, which uh, we can go into the details, but the short answer was it didn't work on most phones. So there was this whole idea, why on earth are you developing this app when the the Android and Apple themselves are working on different kinds of setups which will help people communicate? Why would you develop a particular kind of technology which doesn't seem to be as effective as what's available on the market? There is, to some extent, a series of relationships and a series of contracts which tend to get signed quite often centrally, quite often with the Department of Health, for solutions which produce substandard answers, substandard equipment, substandard um, procedures. And whether that's because government departments are just really bad at procurement or whether the wrong people get involved, it's hard to be absolutely certain. Certainly it's the case that when people try to mess around with apps with the NHS, it tends to take a lot longer than anybody else in the world. And it tends to be not quite as good as what you could have done if you'd bought it off the shelf. But along the way, an awful lot of people would have made quite a lot of money in consultancy. So there is, there is a, a very difficult series of issues here. Okay, so listening back to that, Chidera, I noticed you were nodding along there a lot. We'll come back to WhatsApp, because that's something else that I want to talk about. But other than WhatsApp, what, what did you take away from that? He kind of highlighted some issues that I think in general we are kind of problems that logistically the NHS has always had. So the fact that the system gets a complete revamp every time someone new is in office, um, the fact that we spend a lot, a lot, a lot of money on consultancy, perhaps not asking the right people the right questions, meaning that despite not getting an answer, we spend quite a lot of money. I think these are things that anyone who works in the NHS, regardless of whether we're talking about IT or literally anything else, you kind of recognise. And I guess it does kind of explain the problem that we are having with IT, particularly when he was talking about the fact that we, you know, people are being approached on on an almost individual level. You know, my dad's a GP. um, He's very involved in his CCG, but he covers a very small area of Kent. If you think about the county Kent and how many CCGs are going to be within that, if they're all using different IT systems because they've all been approached by a slightly different company who's offering a slightly different price and they all have their own budgets, you can automatically see where the problem's coming from. And I agree that it's definitely something that's difficult to solve, but I do think that... For a national health service, we we do need to present, I think, a bit more of a nationalised front. And with regard to IT, it just 
it just needs to be there because even now I'm thinking of times like when I need to send a scan from one hospital to another hospital. We all use packs. We all use basically the same type of um, software to look at scans, but I still have to email my IEP office to send the scan and the person receiving the scan still needs to contact their IEP office to accept the scanning. You just think it's so clunky. Let's just kind of put our heads together. We have so many amazing people in the NHS who can code and come up with all these really cool apps that I use daily at work this can't be beyond them Andrew what are your thoughts yeah I agree and, and uh, also I thought um, what you had to say articulated quite a lot quite well a lot of the things that, that I was sort of thinking in my head before I did this episode um, you know like you said you've got CCGs in, in England and we've got health boards up here and, and it's the same thing you know they've all got their own budgets that they have to stick to you know some of them are in a lot more sort of financial trouble than others and you know they have a duty to sort of protect those budgets and to, to be sort of responsible and if they uh, either can get a, a IT system which is you know as far as they can tell everything they need um, for cheaper which is different to the certain health boards then it's sort of their job to, to get that because they, they can't then go into debt to get a different one and you sort of think maybe that essentially it has to be sort of decided for them and then but in a way that it's not penalized you know for, for them so that you'll know, actually you know if there's 13 or 14 health boards in scotland this is a decision we're taking for all of them and yeah it might not be uh, exactly what you want but the actual net gain from everyone um, singing from the same hymn sheet is, is a lot more than than what like, that individual health board maybe wants but even just other things as well is you know when people are making the decision over what IT systems to actually get, it's who's making those decisions and and how competent are they to actually understand what they're getting and, and what they're not. I mean, I get slagged off in the year group for being the the IT guy. Um, so if there's any like problems with like the streams or the um, computers and the lectures, like it's usually me or a couple others that go up and try and fix it for people. And I've been shocked like genuinely by like the lack of IT skills and like senior sort of clinicians and stuff like that people who are like really experienced and top of their field and you know amazing doctors and stuff like that but like the amount of times people can't work powerpoint is, is like really shocking to me like <laughs> i once had a per i had a, a lecture where the powerpoint was um rotated 90 degrees and the lecture was like we'll just go ahead and i'm like what are you talking about like it's 90 degrees the wrong way like how have you set this up wrong and and and, and you kind of go you know, these, uh, not these people in particular, but, you know, people who are making these decisions about what we use day in, day out, if they can't, you know, use email or, or use PowerPoint, and through no fault of their own, no one's shown them how, you know, um, but like you said, there's a series of really complex steps that have gone on that are now sort of ingrained in where we are that have sort of led us to this place and it sort of it makes you a bit sort of sad um and a bit you know hopeless that you know how are things going to change in a sort of in the way that we all want them to so that if i do go to another health board that it's not completely different and that we'll actually be able to just sort of transition smoothly and even just for patients if they move to another health board like it shouldn't be to their detriment because you know somebody's got somebody's not got any access to anything they've actually and uh, that's been recorded about them for the last you know 10 years of their life because they've been in a different health board you know it's kind of it is, mm. it is mad i think the budget thing that you mentioned is actually like really interesting and really important because when i think about my experience of it systems like in london for example as a trainee it's definitely the big wealthy teaching hospitals that have the best systems and the small dghs on the edge of london that don't and it does 
Because I do truly think that having a decent IT system has an impact on the care you give a patient. And I, I don't know if people have done studies into this. Obviously, I'm speaking anecdotally, but I truly do think it does. Um, it does make me think if it adds an extra element to the sort of postcode lottery, you know, kind of healthcare that people get depending on whether they're lucky enough to live. Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. That's really important as well. We'll talk more about that in just a moment, but we're just going to take a quick break to hear about an offer available to Sharp Scratch listeners. As a junior doctor, you want the latest clinical information at your fingertips, anywhere, anytime. That's why, funded by Health Education England, NHS Education for Scotland and NHS Wales, all NHS staff in England, Scotland and Wales have free access to BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice provides the latest evidence-based information structured around the patient consultation to help you treat patients with confidence. It includes differential diagnosis and treatment algorithms, videos of common clinical procedures, important update alerts for evidence changes, over 500 medical calculators, links to local guidelines and nearly 500 patient leaflets. Create your free account today by visiting bmj.com forward slash UK access. Okay, back to the show. Um, Chidari, you were nodding a lot when um, Stephen mentioned WhatsApp. Um, what's your experience with using WhatsApp like professionally like on the wards and stuff? Like, What, what do you use it for? Hmm. And is there any confusion around it between your colleagues? So I will try to speak very carefully about the use of WhatsApp within the NHS because it is not a service that we should formally be using because we, though it is encrypted end to end, it's not done through the NHS and so we cannot entirely guarantee its security. So just going to preface anything I say with that. (laughs) Um, I will say that, I mean, most doctors will know, not not even just doctors, anyone who works in the NHS will know that it it is widely used because you can create fairly secure groups with, you know, SHOs to consultants to MDTs. um, And it's faster than email. It's safer than text. um, And it's far more efficient than bleeping, which we have already discussed. So it's kind of the best thing that we have at the moment. I'll be honest, I find it quite stressful just because I think, as with most people, I also have like friend group chats, et cetera, et cetera, on WhatsApp. So um, one, I now associate WhatsApp with work, which I think has made me very bad at just like texting people back. I'm so sorry if you're listening to this. But also it makes me very nervous when I'm using it for work because you don't want to send the wrong thing to the wrong place. I will say that people are very good at making sure that, you know, they don't include identifiable information. So whether it's using initials, whether it's just using a bed space if possible. But I think the issue is that sometimes because people are making so much of an effort to make sure that they miss out the patient identifiable information that can almost make it harder to interpret the information that you're getting, if that makes sense. So someone says, you know, um, patient in bay h bed one needs bloods but actually the nurses have played jenga with the patient since you've been on the ward which is so common (laughs) um you may end up being the wrong person so it's i wish we had a whatsapp that was nhs friendly because i think it would truly be one of the most valuable things we could have in our pockets um but in light of there not being that it is an incredibly valuable tool just to allow us to work safely and efficiently just hearing you say that though in my head I'm just imagining 
all these companies just rubbing their hands, just like, right, let's make the WhatsApp for the NHS. And like, you know, all these. Honestly, at this point, all, go all ahead. These, yeah, but then it's like, when somebody presents that to somebody, we've made the WhatsApp for the NHS, like, it then requires somebody to go, have they? You know, like, let's just check and see. Do I use WhatsApp? Do I know what they mean by that? You know, that type of thing. And you go, oh, mm. like. <laughs> this is why I do think it needs to be made in house yeah, because also whatsapp iMessage, blah, blah 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 these places all have their own i don't know if i think agenda might be too strong a word but we know that you know our privacy is not really our privacy and our data is constantly being sold blah 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 so it i think it does need to come from in-house just to make sure that whoever is storing or has ac- access to these very important but need, need needing to be secure patient details is doing the right things with them and not you know mm. using them to create an amazon wish list or whatever <laughs> and then also everyone then needs to use it again if it's like one trust makes their own one and another one then again it this loses the, the continuity again. again yeah i think the main issue seems to be the the clunkiness as you put it Sarah. <laughs> So I thought rather than just sort of moaning about all of this, it might be nice to bring us back to some tips and tricks that we might have when it comes to using the computers or the printers or even fax machines and bleeps. So, um, Tadera, if you could give yourself like a practical tip, like pre-starting F1 about the IT that you'd encounter, what would you say to yourself? (laughs) So I think the first thing to say is it's really intimidating at, at the beginning. Um, it's always going to be. Don't let that freak you out. In a week's time, you will literally have muscle memory of everything <laughs> you have to do and won't even be able to explain it to other people because you don't think it through anymore. Um, one thing I will say when it comes to computers, um, just plug them in. We have these things called cows, computers on wheels. Please just plug them in at the end of the day because otherwise you'll be fighting with every other member of staff in the morning for a computer on wheels and you'll be slow and the consultant will be annoyed and you'll be sweaty and it'll just be very stressful. Um, so yeah, plug everything in. And also I've actually become that person where if something's broken, I will actually call. Many people don't do this, but I'm I'm that person now. And actually it just makes your life so much easier because typically if you report it, someone will actually fix it. But otherwise you end up with... Um, what I consider the cow graveyard, which would be a corner of the ward that's dedicated to computers that no one knows why they don't work. And, you know, there'll be six or seven there and you'll have two between eight people. Just call someone. Someone will turn up and do something. Yeah. And Andrew, I know you've got some, a lot of experience working on the wards and in hospitals as well. What about you? Would you have any tips? Just make sure you have all your apps on your phone. Like, there's so many apps that, like, just save your skin and are so useful. It was quite funny. Just yesterday... It, I was in, in practice, uh, and it was obviously in GP, not hospital, but um, uh, I'd asked the GP to come in and see a patient with me, and then we decided on what medication we are going to give, and uh, uh, the GP said, I think we should give this, and I was like, okay, and I pulled out my phone, just went just to get the dose and all that type of stuff correct before I wrote the prescription, and uh, the GP was sort of looking at me, and uh, I said, I'm just checking the BNF, and she was like, oh, I thought you were texting, like, you know, right in front of the patient, and I was like, <laughs> and I had the BNF sort of stacked up with the monitor on top to sort of bring it up to my eye level, and she was like, can't believe you use the BNF to, to like prop up your monitor rather than actually using it, and I was like, the phone's much easier, so have apps, like, there are lots of apps, like MD Calc and stuff like that, which are just, like, really, really helpful, and um, literally anything you can think of that you might have to, to worry about in terms of either drugs or like um, when to do an x-ray or something like that like there's tons of them that just make it so simple um, so have them and have your favourites and stuff like that that you can just 
go-to. What are your favourite apps? You've mentioned the BNF. I, I think Jadera mentioned some apps as well. Like, are there any apps that you would recommend to... Induction. Induction is the best app in the world. I think it's like the one thick piece of NHS IT that I will like shout from the rooftops about. Um, basically, it shows you all of the numbers and all of the bleeps for any hospital anywhere. Um, and you can also call them from your phone, which means that you don't have to run around trying to find, you know, the one ward phone that no one's on. Um, it's just... Because when you think about it, there's actually no other yeah. way other than going through switchboard, which is like, what, a 30 minute wait to speak to someone who's like annoyed that you're wasting yeah. their time. Induction is so or, good. Or, or <laughs> I was hoping that all the numbers scrolled on the whiteboard in the ward are actually accurate. They never are. I'm so glad you mentioned induction, actually, because during my research, I spoke to Sarah and Sarah, who gave me a little bit more practical advice. Hi there, my name's Sarah Blackstock. I'm a paediatric registrar based in London and I'm here with another Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah L Shaker. I'm an anaesthetic reg based up in Liverpool. Nikki has asked us to come along and talk to you a bit about how digital tools can improve your lives as foundation doctors. Now, Sarah and I have been working in... Um, the NHS for about eight years now and we've definitely noticed our fair few pain points in the system along the way be that fax machines slow computers bleeps you name it but actually there is there is some tech out there that can make your lives easier and we wanted to talk a bit about that today but we also wanted to highlight it's actually not the tech that makes things different it's the behavior change and the pathway change around that tech that can really improve your working lives. So firstly, we thought we'd talk to you a bit about Induction App. Some of you may have already heard about this. Essentially, it's a free tool, which is essentially like a virtual switchboard. Oh, I absolutely love it. When I'm doing my placements on critical care, I probably use it multiple times a day, not even just once a day. It's really useful because you've got phone numbers from different hospitals. So say if you're trying to contact the liver unit somewhere, you know, you just go on the app, you get the number straight through. Um, another reason why it's useful is because the numbers are put in by the users. Sometimes you get some really niche numbers. So you know, it might be, you know, all the registrars hang out in a treatment room on Ward 7 and then you just look on the app and the treatment room is being put in there. So there's some really useful hacks in there. But also I find it useful when I'm doing my um, hospital transfers. So if I've got a really sick patient in the back of an ambulance and I want to get through to the critical care unit, I just go on my phone, click the number, boom, through. It just saves so much time. I just find it really, really useful. What I find really exciting in this space, though, when we're talking about improving communication is about WhatsApp and those kind of other apps. So, you know, like Signal, Telegram, because that's the real elephant in the room that no one ever wants to address. And I've got some real bugbears, actually, with using uh, WhatsApp as a communication tool clinically. And one of my really big bugbears is that it's not actually as secure as what we think. So everyone says, oh, WhatsApp's secure because it's end-to-end -end encryption. But actually, as soon as your phone does its routine backup, all your information is on a cloud. And if someone was to hack your cloud, which I know is unlikely, then all of that information is shared. The other kind of bugbear I've got with it is that it's so much information. So it's just a continuous stream of people sending you messages and memes. And yes, sometimes they are funny. But if someone sends you, you know, a really important document that you want to go back to, you've just got to keep on streaming through all of the messages to try and find it. And then my third big bugbear with WhatsApp is that you just um, get continual messages 24-7. So if you're on annual leave or you're away from the ward, you've just been woken. You wake up and you've just got like 50 messages and you're like, oh, not now. Um, how do you feel about WhatsApp, Sarah? I think the reason why people use it is because 
everyone uses and it is an easy tool to use. And actually the NHSX have um, their information governance team have a portal which has actually said that it's fine to use WhatsApp, but please don't use patient information. So names, dates of birth, hospital numbers or photographs on there, but you can use it for other things in um, healthcare. But I think what you were saying about that information overload, I can totally, totally relate. I just remember one shift. I just finished a night shift. I should have been asleep. And I just remember getting all these messages about a cat's transfer. So a child who was being transferred to an intensive care. And I was so worried from listening to the, seeing these messages that I actually called the hospital only to find out that it was a completely different patient who just come into A&E well after I'd finished my shift. And I just thought, gosh, we really don't need that information overload where you just can't switch off after your shift. And I actually did leave that WhatsApp group for that week. I was on annual leave after that um, because I just wanted a bit of time off. And it sounds ridiculous and I felt guilty for leaving it. But I think it's actually a, a quite common issue that people don't really talk about. And there are other tools available. So, um, for example, Hospify, Pando, Slack. These are all tools that you can potentially switch off when you're not on shift. But Sarah, you're much more transparent than most of my friends. Most of my friends just mute the groups and just... So you think that you've contacted all of the registrars, but actually you probably only contacted the few eager ones that are still using WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. most people just mute it and just ignore it. So you're much more transparent just by leaving. <laughs> But to, but jokes aside, I think that one of the good alternatives is Microsoft Teams. And I know Microsoft Teams isn't sexy and it's not, it doesn't sound like, you know, this really cool new thing to be using. But actually, the real benefit of using Teams is that it's secure. So you can send patient identifiable information on it. Everybody in the NHS has access to Teams which makes it really useful for contacting certain teams like, you know, speech and language therapy, physios. And a lot of these teams are also using teams for their routine meetings. So a lot of it, you'll find um, as the months are going on, especially with the pandemic, people are becoming more and more accustomed with teams. But the best thing about teams is you can switch it off. When you don't open the app, you don't get messages, which means when you're on holiday, when you're away, you can relax. Um, I think quite a few of the foundation doctors at Imperial said that they were using it and also um, we were talking to a team um, at Tower Hamlets CCG and a lot of their GPs are using it for their practice um, discussions and actually for teaching as well so it has been used in quite a few places hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's got great potential. I think one thing that I've often thought is that it's all very well, lots of different communications, but you want everyone to be using the same thing because as soon as you get that communication silos, it's just that's when the time and the burden comes in. Um, so there are other apps as well. So like I just mentioned, Hospify, Pando and Slack, and they can be absolutely brilliant as well. Um, but it only is useful when everyone's on there. So if the nurses aren't on there, they're not going to be contacting you that way. They're just going to go back to bleeping. So I would want to encourage you as junior doctors to feel empowered to actually go to your seniors and go to your leaders about trying to make um, whatever tool it is um, a hospital-wide approach because you'll get far more value. And actually, there is quite a bit of interest in improving communication at the moment. And before we all kind of get excited, this is just me being a bit old and Sarah said she's been working in the NHS for eight years, but I'm nearly 11 now. And actually the things which really make a difference are the basics, the things you get taught in medical schools, the things you get taught on the wards, 
which is about having a good working relationship with the nurses. You know, after you've finished your ward round, if you just go through the jobs list with the nurse and just, you know, show them what you're prioritising, that can make a massive difference. Also, having a clear plan in the notes. Again, they won't be harassing you. Well, hopefully not harassing you. But also, is it an urgent or a non-urgent request? So we all experience how annoying it is when someone bleeps you for something that's not urgent. So why are we doing it to our colleagues as well? Can it be an email? Is there another way that you can contact them? You know, we've all been in recess when we've been with someone really sick. So for instance, the weekend, I was someone was coning, I was intubating them. It was very stressful. And then I got a bleep for a cannula literally as I was intubating. Very distracting, very annoying. So is there another way that we can be communicating with people? Is it urgent or is it not urgent? I, I think, yeah, you're right. If you can go to those huddles and just signpost to the senior nurses and just check when you leave a ward that there's no other outstanding jobs, that can just save so many bleeps from you. There's been a lot of talk about banning bleeps, but actually it should be the non-urgent bleeps we're trying to reduce and there are these new tools that we can be using. But actually for those crash calls, um, a bleep is pretty safe and secure. There's no Wi-Fi issues. So I think, you know, Non-urgent bleeps are the thing that needs to be focused on rather than urgent bleeps. So this is a really cool and exciting space. And like Sarah said, I'd really encourage you to talk to your senior leaders and to talk to your implementation teams and CCIOs. And obviously, if you've got any questions, just contact us. We're more than happy to um, chat about it because we're both really passionate about it. But um, thank you so much for listening to us today. I hope that it's been really helpful. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. And like Sarah says, we're very happy to be contacted. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Sarah and Sarah for lots of valuable tips and advice there. So to wrap up, any last words, Chidera? Um, I think patience is, <laughs> is probably the most valuable thing that you can have in the NHS. Um, and also just, again, like when I say if you don't laugh, you'll scream. I think you just have to just approach it with that attitude of just approach it with the view that most things either won't work or will not work in a way that you expect them to or make sense but you just have to get around it and once you do and once you know how the system works you can still become efficient within it even if every time you do something you think about how it can be done better but you will still be efficient and it ultimately won't be the biggest hindrance once you get used to it I think that's really good advice and what you said about ringing people to try and get things fixed when you notice they're not working (laughs) what about you Andrew what do you think yeah I think similar Um, to what Shadera said like just arm yourself with the apps that help you like take action if something's going wrong like don't just sort of sit and just wallow in despair about it you know try and try and fix it and then also if you're like one of these like new doctors who is like super talented at coding or like really creative like try and fix it like try and you know, present stuff that will actually improve things because um i think there's like a big appetite for that just now to try and fix things from within um and although it seems like there's a big behemoth of problems ahead of us like you can probably make quite a lot of improvements and um, sort of in-house if you've just got the skills to actually do it um so yeah, hopefully there's hopefully there's change coming and um, we can improve things a wee bit. But yeah, have patience as well. It's not your fault. <laughs> yeah, have patience and there is change coming. That's nice. <laughs> OK, 
Okay, that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from us, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd also love to hear your ideas about what you think we should cover later on in the season. It's also really helpful to us if you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Pods or wherever you get your pods as it helps other med students find the show. Until then, bye from us. Bye. Bye.